Don't be ashamed to learn things that you need to know. Here's Sexplanations with Dr. Doe. Episode four of Sexplanations podcast. My name is Lindsay Doe. I'm a clinical sexologist and doctor of human sexuality, which today means that I get really excited when people use the term vulva to describe external reproductive anatomy of a biosex female rather than vagina. A fact about me, my earliest memory of my vulva was around age five when I put a small seashell in my vagina. My current curiosity is about sex education 10 years from now. How will it be different or the same in 2027? And today's episode, I am joined by co-host and friend, uh, do we want to call you Victoria or Tori? Tori. Tori. I know her as Tori. She is a Victoria, though. We're both the same age. We've known each other for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I'm so happy <laughs> that you're here and uh, that you'll help me have this fun conversation about vulvas or vulvae, since we're going to be um, going over the fourth episode of Sexplanations, the video series, where we talk about the vagina's neighborhood, the vulva. And you can watch that on youtube.com slash explanations. But first, a message from one of our sponsors. This show is brought to you in part by our generous patrons on patreon.com slash explanations podcast. I want to give a special shout out to those pledged at the boss level, Laura Schuster, Donna, and the Millers. They help us make quality sex education accessible and improve sexual literacy. Uh, including every week we have a test question from them to improve our sexual literacy. Testies, testies, explanations, testies. All right, so here's our question. Which part of the vulva is homologous to the scrotum, meaning that it started off as the same embryonic tissue as the scrotum? Or the scrotum started off as the same embryonic tissue as A, the mons, which is the fatty pad covering the pubic bone, B, the clitoris, C, the vestibule, or it's like a, the porch that goes into the vagina, that, that kind of smooth area in between the lips, or D, the labia majora, the outer lips of the vulva. Tori, any ideas? I would say the A, a the mons, but I could be wrong. That's a great guess because it, it's, it's, it's like kind similar, of, and it's it has kind pubic hair on it, and the scrotum has pubic hair on it. And some women have longer, like, they droop, or sometimes they don't. But yes, Go ahead. <laughs> sorry, the, yeah, that's my th- guess. The answer is labia majora. Really? Which are the outer lips? That would make that's that. That's the drooping. There you go. There we go. Okay, so uh, there is this really great website that I found called meddean.luke.edu. But the way I would look it up is homologies of the sex organs, and it lists what parts of biosex male and biosex female anatomy are homologous. So what I found really interesting is that the labia majora, which becomes the scrotum, okay, that makes sense, but what do the inner lips, the labia minora, become? And that would be the urethral surface of the penis. So like the inside tube Hmm. of the inside of the penis is from the labia minora. Is female labia, urethra, how does that evolve if if it is if yeah yeah well so my guess is that the urethra is that tube but the lengthening of it oh, through sure. the penis would be made of the labia minora that's interesting so had it not needed the extra length of the penis 
then it would have just ended in the same place that our meatus ends. Hmm. What's the word? Meatus. Meatus. Or meatus, depending on how you pronounce it. Okay. Tori and I have vulvas. Right, Tori? That is correct. <laughs> hmm. um, you are a longtime friend of mine. You're super easy to talk to, including things of sexual nature. And uh, like I said, you have a vulva and you've pushed a baby through it. I have. You have. How was that? Female bodies are extremely amazing that I could stretch this amazing 20-inch head. Yeah, yeah. And then have it go back to the way it was. And actually better than the way it was is completely bizarre to me. Wait, what? We've never (laughs) talked about this before, so tell me. One of the main concerns after you have a child is continence. So being able to hold in urine Mm -hmm. and being embarrassed by that that your muscles had gone this through this very horrific strange strain on it and then to have it go back to being able to control it on your own you have to use kegels i'm going to i'm going to say it kegels save you no matter what um it's made sex life better it's made um i'm able to really be in tune with my body and know how it works rather than just like it feels good. Huh. But now I know like the inner workings of an engine of a car it makes more sense to me. Ooh, yeah. I like it. Yeah. We get to do kegels on this show. Did you oh, know that? No, I didn't know that. That's awesome. <laughs> kegels, really, you can just do them while you're sitting there and hanging out or beat your best record. Yeah, things like that. <laughs> it helps. Awesome. I really do think it helps in your sex life because you can do those kegels mm-hmm. and your partner can feel that usually, so. Yeah, that's great. I love it. <laughs> and how was childbirth? Uh, you know, um, I was in labor for four hours, but compared to some women, that's nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I was in labor for a day and a half, but I only was major labor for oh, four gotcha. hours. I had it natural. I didn't have an epidural. That was one of my things I was like I wonder if my body can do it women have been doing it for centuries I wonder if I can do it and I was really glad that I stuck to my guns and was like you know what I'm a strong woman we can do this and I'm not saying that you're not strong if you choose to have an epidural it's just your your choice and your way of mm-hmm. being connected or or having the pain reduced it's it's a very different experience for every single woman so yeah. and how did it feel pushing your head out <sighs> Did you go, did, so your son is August. Mm-hmm. Did he go head first or feet first? He was head first, but his shoulder was stuck. And I did not know this at the time, but my blood, um, my pulse was 180 and his was 90. Um, and so they were really, really worried. And I did not notice. Mm-hmm. Um, there were probably about eight women and my husband. <laughs> <laughs> and the eight women were all just kind of running around. And I just... My biggest, my biggest thing is breathing, um, and just because I wasn't concentrating on that, I was concentrating on so many other things, um, they were worried, but came out just fine and didn't cry, just looked at us, and um, yeah, I, I, I was pretty lucky to have such a short labor as well, um, and to, to know that my body can go through that. It's just this morning, Louis like, that was in you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So, my body does not want to have your experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was daunting, and I knew there was going to be pain, but it's kind of like hiking a mountain. Once you get to the top, you see it, and you're like, oh, my God, I'm so glad I got up here Aww. and saw the view. Yeah, you're going to be sore tomorrow. Yeah, you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, it was hell getting up that mountain, but you did it. And I think that's what the biggest thing is, is that you know there's a reward at the end of the light, uh, at the end of the tunnel. So, um, yeah, it was all worth it. That's a really inspiring story, I think, for people who want to do that. Good on you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, he's going to be five this year and thinking back to the experience, like, oh my God, I'm never going to heal from this. You know, because there's possible tearing. There's, there's, there's a lot that goes through when you push out a human. And so I I was, I was about a week (laughs) in pain, but then I was like, you know what? I'm just concentrating on him. It doesn't matter anymore. So yeah. Wow. A week doesn't seem that bad considering what you did. No, I, I have a friend who an hour after she had her child, she was up walking around just to be like, oh, that wasn't bad. And I, I, a lot of people envy that because there's, you know, they, they go through. And it's surprising how many women don't make it through childbirth too. Yeah. Not just in the third world countries, but here in America, mm-hmm. which not a lot of people talk about. It's, it's, it's a serious amazing biological right to produce a child, to produce a human. And we don't know exactly. We can study it. We can know the steps of how it's supposed to be, but we really have no idea on another level how you get through this process and you go back to being like nothing ever happened. You know, you know, Mm -hmm. but outwardly you don't have the signs. And that's kind of crazy to think about. You think there should be a a visible scar. Yes, I have one, two, three kids on your arm or something, but it's it's the battle wounds that you keep inside that I think make you who you are. Wow. Very (laughs) profound, Tori. Thanks. So I want to talk about more than the vagina. Going, I want to go on the outside here and look back at the fourth episode we did of Sexplanations where we get into the vagina's neighborhood, we're looking at the labia and the clit, and and then even the internal structures. So let's have a montage. It's Dr. Doe's mission to now explain these sex positions. I'm going to draw you a vulva. You may have called this a vagina in the past. Now you know that it is actually a vulva, and perhaps think of it more like the vagina's neighborhood. Here's the mons veneris, or pubis. This is the buttocks, and the asterisk represents an anus. The clitoris is closest to the top of the vulva. If this person were lying back down, legs spread, it would be at the top. It is a highly sensitive organ, densely packed with nerve endings, with two roots running on either side of the vulva. The head of the clitoris, called the glands, is especially loaded. Skin, just like that on the intact penis, covers most of its shaft. It's designed to slide fluidly across the clitoris to stimulate arousal without harming the delicate glands. Then, labia minora extend from this hood downward. These are also known as the inner lips. A second layer of lips and protection for the vulva are closer and more similar in texture and color to the inner thighs. These are called the labia majora. The center of the vulva is called the vestibule. The meatus or urethra opening is about here, a little higher or lower depending on the body. The vaginal introitus is the opening to the vagina just below that. Even further down is the perineum. This is the space between the genitals and the anus. During puberty, hair begins to grow here on the outer lips, the perineum, and the anus. 
All right, I wanna show you a little bit about the vulva using my body. This shirt will come up over my head, representing a clitoris. This shirt, inner labia, labia minora. Then we'll use the big puffy as a labia majora, or the outer lips. What I want for us to understand is the clitoris here and how this part actually trumps it in terms of importance because here my head is very, very sensitive. So I'm telling all of you out there about something very important called the clitoral hood or prepuce. And the way that this works is that I can stimulate the clitoris without touching it directly. So you could take, instead of one leg kicking my face, you take two, you put them on either side of the, the clitoris here on the hood and you move them back and forth like this and it will feel much better for the body. Between the clitoris and the prepuce, there is a fluid called sebum, which is released by the body, and that can turn into smegma if it is left too long. Smegma is kind of like cheesy buildup between the two. If it's left there, it may adhese the prepuce to the glands, and this adhesion called phimosis can be very painful. So. Make sure to use the prepuce to touch the clitoris and to clean out the smegma. Smegma. Yes, <laughs> smegma. Sorry. <laughs> it was fun watching you rewatch that. It's been a while. For me as well to look back on that and remember what a, a huge moment that was for Sexplanations because up until that time, you know, we had been creating the channel, but I hadn't been able to really show off something that I knew, which was not common knowledge. Mm. And, oh, it was, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> and I, I loved having Nick Jenkins, who was the director at that time, in the room. We shot it um, at the university campus and in one of the classrooms there. And we're just, like, going. <laughs> Script-free, I'm going to explain this to you. I'm going to use my hoodie right now. Had you used that example before to explain it? Mm-mm. It so that's, like, yeah. very first time. I like it. Well, it, that's not true. I used it in classes. Class. I was but wondering. That was yeah. the first time on the channel. Okay. Yeah. It's a very visual way of understanding the neighborhood, the vulva, <laughs> um, and, and realizing it's not just the vagina. That <laughs> yeah. Do you have any questions for me about that episode? If you would do it again, or if, if you would do that example for somebody else, would you alter it? Would you change how you explained it? I think now what I do do is I ask other people from the audience to come and be vulvas on the stage with me, mm -hmm. vulva, and we all put up hoods and, you know, go through this magma ordeal and what to do with this and how to pleasure the clitoris without hitting it directly in the face. And yeah, so I maintain this presentation because I think it's so fun and effective. Mm. So, yeah, not many differences. Do you think I should do something differently? No, no. I, I really like the visual of it and this just so – we don't talk about the vulva. It does not discuss, like, the penis and the balls. Is, you know, it's just like <laughs> it's something – it's, oh, my gosh, it's so mysterious. It's the vagina. No, really, there's, there's names for it. You can – you know, and so to be able to explain that to people and they're like, oh, that, that makes sense, I think it's very helpful. Do you use the term vulva with your son? I actually he he learned the term. He has a penis and she has a vagina. Gotcha. And 
the reproductive way, I guess, mm-hmm. of explaining yeah. it. But if you were to explain the differences, I think I would. I will use vulva. Yeah, because that makes more sense to me. Go vulva, go. Yeah. Um, I just have to say something real quick. Um, one of my all-time favorite British shows called Spaced. If anyone's never seen it, you really should. Uh, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg and uh, Edgar Wright, they created this male cross-dressing performance artist named Volva on the show. And he, you would recognize him as a pretty predominant comedian in in England, but he, it's perfect. And so they go to one of his shows, Volva's shows, and it's Ah. very in your face and out there and very strange, but that's how he explains what the vulva is. It's just something. And it's called Spaced? Spaced, yep. Okay. And it's before they did uh, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, and they all became friends together on this TV show, and it's a two-season thing. Anyways, vulva. Vulva. Mm-hmm. That's so, a great name. So whenever we first watched, we're like, oh, vulva. <laughs> and um, we kind of used that term when we were always joking, like, vulva. <laughs> it's just perfect to say. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I like it. Um, Okay, so what we're going to do now is build kegels. We're going to do them as a group. It's called the main squeeze. Feel your kegels if you're able. Main squeeze. Where we work our pubococcygeus muscles, the pelvic flooring that stretches from the pubic bone to the tailbone. We're going to tighten or squeeze these muscles every time I say a number or you hear a number, in this message from our sponsor, Adam and Eve. Ready? Okay. AdamandEve.com has been trusted for over 45 years as the go-to source for sex toys. In the last 12 months, they've had 18,801 customer reviews, like this five-star rating, bought four products, excellent seller, and selection. They have 24-7 customer service, easy returns for 90 days, and dildos ranging from 5 to 18 inches. At adamandeve.com, you can use the discount code SEXPOD to get 50% off any one eligible item plus free shipping anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. (laughs) Did you do them? I did. You love opportunities to do kegels. I do. It's something that I don't even consciously do anymore. Because you just unconsciously kegel. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I, my uh, sisters. I have three older sisters who all had children before me, and as soon as I got pregnant, they're like, "Do your kegels." What? That's annoying. But as soon as you do them more and more, you, it just becomes natural. Good. Yeah. You don't feel sore at all. Do you um, feel sore? Once I way overdid it. Like when I. When I was studying kegels in school and they were really promoting them, I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to just pound out a bunch of them. And I was very sore <laughs> the next day. I also had a friend get – they have they make two-pound dumbbells that are very slender and long. And so you put the one end in your vagina and then you do kegels to lift it. Whoa. I know. I had never heard of that. And I have used, uh, who makes them? I can't remember now, but they're smart balls, which is a type of 
Benoit ball that is connected and you can put them in your vagina and let them bounce around as a way of strengthening your PC muscles. And so I got them and two of my friends from middle school, my seventh grade and my eighth grade boyfriends, (laughs) we're we're all friends with each other. And this is the first time we're seeing each other as adults. And I I tell them like, oh yeah, I just put these in and now we're going to go to the movie together. And the two of them plotted to run up from behind and scoop me up like one in one arm and one in the other and have me skip so that the balls inside of me would go. (laughs) How did it feel? It was good. Yeah. Yeah. Benoit balls. Yeah. Yep. Adam and Eve sells their own version. So Mm. get 50% off that way. (laughs) Okay. So I'm going to go through this episode and see if there are any questions that you want to answer. Or if you have stories about your own vulva, um, by all means, I would love for the audience to hear and learn from us. This person says, why didn't I know these things? Why did no one tell me? Why do you think? Socially, I think we don't talk about reproductive systems of females. It's just not something we talk about openly. Or the external part. Or right? the external, because yeah. The reproductive parts are inside, and so, right. like, why are we even paying attention to the labia? We're not even going to discuss the clitoris. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's how it is. In sex ed, if you do learn the differences, you never learn labia majora and minor and mm-hmm. all of it. You don't – because I think it's it's too related to pleasure. That's too yeah. – and for some reason, that's so negative. If you masturbate too much, you'll go blind. Yeah. It's a natural part of the human anatomy, and, and everybody grows, and we should learn. The more you learn, the more you are comfortable with your own body, I think. The more Hopefully. you talk about it, the better it becomes, I think. This person says, can you make a video about how to properly clean yourself? Do you have any cleaning hygiene tips? The first time I ever really understood that I had a vagina Mm -hmm. is when I, it was very uncomfortable to wash it. And I was probably around eight years old Mm -hmm. and I took a mirror to see and I was like, oh, there's smegma. What? And I didn't know what the word was. It was just like, ew, Mm -hmm. what is that stuff? But I just was amazed that Mm -hmm. there were so many different folds and there were so many different things. And um, I just used a cloth and I would, you know, how you wipe from front to back. Mm -hmm. Um, just with a white, wet cloth, and that's always what I did. But, yeah, that's the first time I actually was like, what is going on? Um, it's just because I came to a crossroad of this isn't feeling good. What, what, why not? And there was stuff there. So, yeah. I've heard of lots of different ways to clean. And, you know, there's the whole controversy, soap or no soap, or internal or only external. And I would say that rinsing it is the way to go unless you are talking with a medical provider about strategies specifically for your body chemistry because people can have a pH level that's imbalanced, which causes either the healthy bacteria to overgrow or the unhealthy bacteria to overgrow. And I think that that's, for me, at least not something that I want to take on myself and just say, okay, I like I know what to do. I'm going to stick garlic up there, which is absolutely a solution for some people, but I want to have guidance so that I'm properly diagnosing whether or not is a positive bacteria or a negative one because, oh man, for so many years I was trying to 
um, regulate what I thought was yeast and say, okay, I'm going to cut sugar out of my diet. I'm going to do whatever I can to just mitigate this yeast, take probiotics, and then learning years into this process of being absolutely ineffective that it was actually lactobacillus, which is positive growth that had overgrown. So had similar symptoms of being painful and annoying Mm -hmm. and sticky, but I was almost aiding it and growing by not creating an environment for it to chill out. You were overactivating it. Yeah. Um, I think for a lot of women, urinary tract infections, yeast infections, they're one of the worst things to have and no one talks about it. They're embarrassed to say, oh, I have UID, I have a yeast infection, you know. It's because we don't understand how our vagina is healthy or unhealthy. It's just something you deal with. Well, you don't have to if you take precautions, if you know what causes it, if you, mm-hmm. if just something sim- so simple as after sex, just urinating. Mm-hmm. That's one of the best ways to preemptively not have a problem. So I think the more we know, the better we are, but it's, it's not so talked about right now. No, not at all. And I wish that somebody had said to me, wipe front to back, Mm -hmm. pee after this activity, this activity, this activity. Right. Not just sex. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Because, oh, the first time that I had a urinary tract infection was so painful. And I kept going to the bathroom thinking, oh, I've got to pee. I absolutely know I have to pee. My body is signaling urinate. And, you know, there would be a trickle. And And just just, pain. Oh, awful. Yeah. And I think... If as friends you start talking to one another about it, if you say, hey, have you ever dealt with this before or you're, I'm coming up with this, have you dealt with this? I, I think the stories that we tell one another, the experiences that we have like, oh, I tried this, but you might want to talk to a doctor about that. But mm-hmm. that gets you thinking in a different direction of like, oh, there is something I can do. So it's not just happening to you just because. Friends are so wonderful. Mm-hmm. You're my friend, Tori. I feel like I have gone to you about these things. We talked, we've talked about your your vulva before. Yeah, yeah, we have. We talked about my vulva before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you were going, you thought that you were having major yeast infections, and I remember. Oh yeah, it's just lactobacillus. Nobody wants to go through that either. It's it's you feel pain for your friend when they're going through that. Oh. <laughs> And you and you want to give them hope, but sometimes it's not always what worked for you works for them. So you have to be in tune with your own body. I think that's and and like you said, going to talk to a professional a doctor who has dealt with similar things in the past. I think that really helps. Have you had only positive experiences with doctors? I feel like that question is leading. Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> when I was trying to find a gynecologist in town I, I I went through I think two or three mm-hmm. um you shouldn't just go with the first one that works on your insurance policy really it's somebody who's very intimately checking everything out that you mm-hmm. don't normally talk to everyone about so I think you want to have a good relationship if it makes you feel uncomfortable in any way shape or form get out of there and I, I did have one experience with a female she said my pubic area was very pink and fluffy, and I was just like, you know, 
I, I don't really want to hear that right now. And then she came up to check my breasts and she's like, wow, your breasts are so big. And I'm like, lady, can you keep that to yourself? <laughs> so I think a lot of women have a preference, women gynecologists. I have always had male doctors ever since I was little. And I think that I just feel okay with that. I've never felt a problem. So the one I did choose was a male and he was just very... He had a great bedside manner, and for me, that speaks volumes. So, if I don't, if I don't get a vibe from you, if I can't even have a conversation, I'm sorry that you're gone. But yeah, that was that's the one time that really stuck out. <laughs> High five to male gynecologists. I have had similar experiences where, you know, this conversation can become very sexist, and I don't want to go there. But mm. so many of the male providers I have had have been gentle and respectful and I don't want to be paying attention to their gender but what I have recognized is more problematic scenarios with female providers that, that they're just more rough or rushed or yeah. um, very judgmental in some cases and that's not to speak for all genders of course um, but those are my experiences and I'm so grateful that I have comfort with my body and sexuality that I can go to any provider regardless of their gender and mm -hmm. choose them based on how they treat me. Right. Because I think that a lot of people fear going to a male provider and they miss out on, on excellent care. I agree. Um, it is something to say, hey, they've never gone through. They don't have a vagina. They don't have a vulva. Mm -hmm. But tons of Great doctors have never had brain injury, never had other things Ooh, yeah. to help. Um, and, and it shouldn't matter on their gender. But it is a concern for a lot of women. And like you said, they're missing out if they just give them a chance. Agreed. Um, and a shout out there to people who don't identify as women but have vulvas. I am thinking uh. of you and um, if you have questions about your bodies or your gynecologist's Please send them to me. Here is another question. This person says, okay, but how do we clean off the smegma? And again, that goes back to rinsing. Or um, sometimes people will use mineral oil to separate the foreskin that is that has adhesed to the clitoris. Or in other cases, the foreskin that has adhesed to the head of the penis. So if smegma is left there, then it crystallizes and attaches. And one of the techniques that I've heard is to use mineral oil to kind of gently rub in between those crevices and try and separate the, the skin from the glands. Just a thought from Dr. Doe. What's your favorite vulva memory? When I was younger, I hung out with a lot of boys. I didn't have many friends that were girls. And I figured out at a young age that if you really got upset at them or they were teasing you, a quick, swift kick to the balls would really... Terrible. I know, I was horrible. But that, I remember, I'm like, oh, thank goodness girls can't feel that pain. Well, I slid down a banister and there was a stopper at the end and I landed straight on it. And I'm like, oh, I'm never going to say that again because it is, it's as painful, I think. I mean, testes, they go up mm -hmm. inside your body, but mm -hmm. when you when you damage... Falling, riding horse, or landing on your bike seat. Oh, gosh. You know, you're thankful that you have outer area to protect what's inside. 
Um, you know, I always think men, they have their genitals on the outside. I mean, it hits everything. It bounces into things. We're lucky that it's internal, but you can still damage the vulva. So you got to be careful. <laughs> this is your favorite vulva memory? I, I think I, like that's, that's or your most memorable. Most memorable, not favorite. I don't know if I have a favorite vulva memory, except for just realizing the pleasure that you can get from around it. You don't have to necessarily touch the clitoris or, yeah, it, it's the whole area is your part of your whole body. So, yeah. I'm trying to think of my yeah. Do you most have one? memorable vulva experience. I mean, I definitely had the times of getting down on the floor with the hand mirror and seeing what the heck was going on. Mm. I can remember the first time I put my fingers inside myself and thought, like, no, that's Ew. not what. <laughs> that's not. I want that to feel good, and that doesn't. Mm. What is when is the first time that you distinguish that you have a vagina, but you also have a urethra that they're not and a, and a clitoris that they're not all oh, combined. Oh yeah, that I don't pee out of my vagina. Yeah, I don't know. Some people still don't know that. <laughs> Most people, I would say, uh, every semester when I was teaching classes at the university, I would have to explain to them the difference between the two, and I don't blame people for not knowing that. Our education system certainly doesn't do a good job of teaching it, and if you are urinating, it really feels like it's coming out of the vagina unless you get down there it's hard to notice that there is a separate exit um i personally i don't know but thank goodness i learned that (laughs) somewhere along the line yeah that it, it it isn't all just one i think it's the misconception because for a male you do pee out of Mm -hmm. the penis that is Mm -hmm. logical for a woman to have multiple holes and multiple, mm-hmm. I think it confuses people more than it explains. And I, it shouldn't be that way. It should be like, oh, that that looks clear now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, and, and a misconception of if you have a urinary tract infection that you can't have sex, that's not necessarily true. They recommend you not. But um, because it is separate, mm-hmm. um, that is still something that you can do. It might not feel as good because you're in a lot of pain down there, but, you know, it's everyone deals with it in a different way. But like I said, I think just the misconceptions, the myths of a female body, of how you're supposed to pleasure another woman, you know, Mm -hmm. you can read Tickle My Pickle, that book. Have you ever seen that one? I have. Yeah. Just different books, different things out there that most books you pick up now, they, they don't shy away from visually putting a map out there for you. Um, a lot of sexual education books are very upfront of showing you the labia and showing you the differences, which I think is really important. Thank goodness they're doing that. I actually remember I was teaching at a inpatient rehab center for teenagers, and we had a bunch of magazines that we were just going through to make collages. And one of these magazines, like a 17 or, or teen or something, magazine had photographs of vulvae. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I know. And Usually I, it's just a drawing, but that's... No, wow. these were photographs of all the different kind of um, pubic hairstyles and different Shapes types of and labia. Shi- yeah. And I just thought, this is incredible. I can't even believe that this is happening. And 
I imagined that they had pulled it off the shelves. So I looked for it on eBay and ordered it and got it and was all excited. Like, this is my copy of this once in a lifetime thing that's happened. Uh, and then my dog ate it. Lena. I know. She's so rough. <laughs> so well, I don't have know it what the memory. issue was. But, oh, man. I wonder if we had that and if we talked about you could have any style of pubic hair. You don't have to have it one way or the Mm -hmm. other. And you really only talk about those things in the locker room or, um, you know, if you happen to see your friend naked, like, or you're going to go get a waxing, that's when you talk about it. But it's it's just not expressed in in a comfortable way for a lot of people. Yeah, well, certainly not us. And I hope that the generations to follow, like our children, are going to have opportunities for that sex education, which is why at the beginning I was, you know, with my curiosity thinking, what is it going to be like 10 years from now? I mean, Mm -hmm. right now and probably for the the term of this president, we're going to have a shit show as far as sex education goes. But after that, when we're all woken up by the damage that does, will we get to a place where we make sure that kiddos are seeing photographs that they know, that it's mapped out, that that it's okay to recognize differences and call things by their actual names? Like, oh, I just, I am so excited to get to that place, and I, I hope we make it there sooner than later. Yeah, I, I do too. I, when I was in college, I took a public speaking course, and I chose to be pro sex education. That was my Ooh, my thanks. side. And giving examples of scenarios and, and different groups of people who never got sex education, what the statistics were for them versus people who actually had abstinence-only education, but they knew more than none at all. Mm-hmm. Again, the more you know, the better you can make a decision on what's best for your own body rather than having somebody else tell you. Um, I think that's the biggest problem right now in government is all men making decisions, which, you know, men can do a lot of research. They can do a lot of, you know, they can, they can really understand how a woman works. But if it's a woman's choice to do with their body what they want, I think that should be their choice, not some, uh, somebody else's. But that's, again, very political. Very, <laughs> that's okay. Um, I think that it would be impossible to have a sex education channel that wasn't political in some form because it's the nature of protecting what we're doing. Definitely. If you're brought up in a household where sex is only for reproduction and you don't know anything else, there's tons of possibilities of unsafe sex, of pregnancy, of STDs, of other things. Pardon? Assault. Assault. Yeah. If you if you don't know the signs, if you've never been in a situation, um, you might think that's normal versus you have boundaries. Um, I think for a lot of people um, who have suffered sexual assault, one of the things that they wished they had done was talk about it with somebody mm-hmm. rather than internalizing it and never never expressing what it felt like, how it what how it impacted you, and if it if you see that as normal or as not normal, you know you can have fetishes. Um, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. 
It just means you see, you seek pleasure in a different way. But to finalize that boundary in your terms, Mm -hmm. that's a place that you can get if you know more about it. Well, and you're also capable of communicating what has happened to you if somebody has given you the language and permission to do so. Definitely. Has modeled that for you in a safe way. Yeah. Ah, (laughs) so much work to do, Tori. (laughs) You're fighting the fight. It's good, though. We got to get this out there. Let's do it. One (laughs) podcast at a time. Yeah. One video at a time. (laughs) All right. So. One more thing. Yes. Before I had a child. I didn't know this was possible, and I, it was a myth that I thought, after I had a child, I squirt. Oh! Big change. And the first time it happened, was like, oh my god, I'm so embarrassed. But the more I've gotten into it, I'm like, oh, I can do this. Yeah. Wow. I think you just enlightened a bunch of people. (laughs) Hopefully they figure out ways to produce ejaculate without me. Like, I'm going to go have a kid so I can make this possible. Yeah, yeah. Maybe try another method before that. But uh, again, just one of the things that my body chose to do that I was like, well, I got to accept it now. That's how it goes. So, yeah, I really thought it was a myth, but sure isn't. You thought squirting was a myth? Yeah, because... You don't, again, something you don't talk about. Did we not talk about this? Uh, we have, but but okay. it it just wasn't like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I haven't <laughs> met anyone that really does oh, this. Oh, Lindsay Doe, she's not speaking the truth. <laughs> That's not true. It was just because I hadn't experienced it in any other realm mm-hmm. than talking about it with mm-hmm. you. And I tra- like I looked it up and was is seeing some people that this is something that they've had their whole life, that mm-hmm. that's just... So, but then I researched more and yeah, sure enough, it's something that can happen once you have a child. It, it changes your makeup. It changes the way you experience pleasure. So, yeah. Sure enough. You, well, and, and you can get there without it. So last week we gave a extra credit assignment, which was to find your G-spot or your prostate, depending on your body type. And we should come up with something, you know. I wonder, I wonder if there is something that you can work on to be able to harness that ability. Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm sure there is, yeah. G-spot stimulators. Yeah. That's awesome. For this episode, I think this extra credit should be going to the website where you can get the homologies of sex organs and draw your genitals with those homologies in mind, knowing like, oh, my labia majora is a ball sack. This all makes so much sense. Mm. All right, so I had one more thing to say. I can't remember. Is there anything you wanted to? I mean, I'll remember things later, but I think what's so important to me about these conversations is that we are just showing examples of how to have them, and then That's the true. point is for them to be inspired curiously to continue the conversations on their own. Yeah. I don't want to feel like we have everything to say about vulva and and this is it, this finite 45 minutes. Here you have all the knowledge that you'll ever need. I, I would much rather just be pittering around trying to figure out our way through this conversation on our bodies and other bodies that we speculate about and then they go and they get feisty and they say like, oh, they used woman rather than uh, what they named term, at yeah. birth and 
the like neo natal female or you know all the, the things that come up from this that then turn into bigger and better compounding conversations the ripple effect we're gonna wrap up with some okay. announcements new shirts at dftda.com if you go to s-e-x-p-l-a-n a-t-i-o-n-s that's spells explanations correctly also please make sure that you make your way over to patreon.com slash explanations podcast to support this 45 minutes of conversational sex education special thanks to tori for being here i love hearing about the amazing endeavors of your vulva and vagina also thank you to cinema studios for the sound editing complexly for production count boogie for the jingles and Cora and Paro, I'm still learning. Yeah.